got a lot to say about the world I occupy every day. But when I say what's on my mind, I find I piss people off. You're listening to What the Folk, real talk and raw tunes for revelationary times. I'm Joy Damiani. I'm Sarah Baranowskis. And our guest on this episode is Corey Nathan. Corey Nathan was raised in an observant Jewish household, attending an Orthodox synagogue. In his late 20s, much to his family's chagrin, Corey became a born-again Christian. Not long after this epiphany, the new believer began to find many of the default social and political positions of contemporary American evangelicalism to be at odds with the very scriptures that are supposed to be Christians' authority for how to engage in the world. Corey is an entrepreneur with one foot in business and one foot in creative pursuits. Having built and managed such endeavors as a specialty headhunting firm, a theater and film ministry, a 501c3 to help folks during the pandemic, a residential and commercial service company, and most recently, a new media and content company. Avocationally, Corey continues to be a student of theology, politics, and culture, and enjoys sharing invigorating conversations with world-renowned experts of these subjects on the podcast he produces and hosts, talking politics and religion without killing each other. I want to talk about tough stuff, but I want to do it in such a way where we honor the humanity of the people that we disagree with. But first, before we get started, if you've been picking up what we're putting down here on What the Folk and you want us to know about it, please take five seconds to give us a five-star rating or even a review because that helps a lot. And you can also follow us on your favorite platforms and you can even love us with your money via the donate link on our website, whatthefolkpod.com. We made that for you. Yay! Thank you so much to everyone who's been sharing us. Soon we'll be putting up a Patreon so that we can gift you with gratitude prezzies. So stay tuned on that. And now to kick things off, here's the newest single from me, Joy Damiani, now available on Bandcamp, Spotify, and all your streaming platforms. A love song to all of our inner and outer hot messes. It's all right to not be okay. It's all right to not be okay. There's no such thing as perfect anyway. We're all growing out of an overheating planet. Sit under 
welcome to What the Folk. We will folk you up. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys had Samantha Hart on recently, so I could I could go in a world. The trailer voice in a world. <laughs> yes. Oh, the 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 um, trailer mastress. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Tell me the name of your. I we're gonna. I was gonna start by reading your bio, but I feel like maybe I could just do that after, since we're having so much fun talking. Okay. Um. You had said you had a podcast that you had Sam on. Yeah. Called Trailer Trailer Geeks. Is that what yeah, it was? Tra- trailer Geeks and Teaser Gods. That's the first one we produced. It was just on the history of the. Uh, entertainment advertising industry. So like these legendary designers of movie posters and uh, the people who actually make the coming attractions and Sam's done all of it. Like she's done some of my favorite trailers and and posters of all time. The, the one for um, Fargo, the, the original movie Fargo, she, Sam's behind that one. The, the, the trailer that really got, what was that? Um, Rick Linklater uh, movie. All right, all right, all right. Oh, Dazed and Confused. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. she's done some of my favorite pieces of all time. So, yeah. Huh, yeah, so awesome. we just told the story of that. Uh, that, And nobody really knows about it. Nobody knows that it's an actual thing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think that's such a really interesting, like, niche skill to have because yeah. you know it's it's something that nobody thinks about but everyone experiences and knows about in there it has some peripheral you know they t- it touches us all we all yeah. know in a world in a world like, i actually saw i saw that movie in a world um that was the sort of spinoff of the narr- trailer narration yeah yeah and i thought that was just brilliant of course because <laughs> we all have it that's right yeah well, we should probably introduce our guest. <laughs> oh, okay. I suppose we could introduce him. Uh, do you want to? Do you want to do the honors, Sarah? Since I've been I've been wordsing pretty hard. Only if here. she could do it in the trailer voice. <laughs> our guest today. Our guest today in a world. <laughs> in a what the fucking world? <laughs> Get it. <laughs> One man with a podcast will sit down with two cynical lefty chicks to discuss talking politics and religion without killing each other. Please welcome Corey Nathan. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I'll spill my popcorn now. Thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> Sweet. That was my first attempt at movie trailer voicing. All right. You have to smoke like three packs a day for the next 10 years, then come back and see. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, like, I feel like I want to like drop into my like Celtic inner world. Yeah. <laughs> you need that Kathleen Turner voice. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like my end of deployment pack and a half a day voice oh, where I gave no fucks and took no names <laughs> in my world. <laughs> no, I love it. That's the name of your of your memoir. Gave no fucks and took no what? <laughs> <laughs> took no names. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, so Corey, it's really wonderful to meet you. Um, thank you so much for reaching out to us and um and you know, we we always start with what we what we call an easy question if um if it's easy for you. Um and if you don't mind, we'd like to just lob it. Okay. How, Corey Nathan, is your apocalypse going? Oh geez. Okay, so Joy and Sarah, my apocalypse is a little le- is a little brighter because from your from your program. Because of your pro- Oh, thank you. Oh, 
talking before we hit record because um, you had you talked to my friend Samantha Hart, who wrote one of my favorite books of the last few years. Mm-hmm. Really profound, really poetic, really beautiful, really gritty and hard at times, but just so pat. It's just human in all its beauty and all its gnarliness all at the same time. So that was cool. And <laughs> I heard one of my favorite songs, favorite new songs. <laughs> Please don't fuck with me this Christmas. <laughs> so you made my apocalypse a little bit brighter for all those reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really appreciate that. But I think the your your question was driving more at, um, you know, how the last year and a half, two years has been going. And, uh, you know, gosh, that's so loaded. Um, one of the first things that comes to mind is uh, mental health. Actually, uh-huh. your, your new video kind of deals with that, right? Um, uh-huh. your, your new song. <laughs> so with my mental health, that's for oh, sure. <laughs> you know, I, I, I dealt with a mental health issue as I thought of it, uh, as far back as, I don't know, 15 years ago, but I thought it was an issue, not something that I've now come to believe is something we need to tend to, you know, Mm. we need to cultivate and nurture and nourish, um, and encourage those we love to, to think of it that way, just the way that we take care of our physical health, our mental health. Uh, I had a weird experience just about a week ago, I had a full on panic attack and that never, I never had that before. I I had in way back, I'd been diagnosed with um, depression and manic depression, but I I just thought it was a thing and you treat the thing and then you move on with life. Um, But I I never had an actual panic attack. And it was, um, I I was, it was the first time I was around a lot of people. Uh, it was actually an awards show for this this industry that Sam Sam was a part of for many years, and um, and uh, it came upon me. I was already uncomfortable, sort of being there, not for the health thing because I'm I'm all vaxxed and boosted and stuff like that. But it was I didn't know how to people like I just didn't mm. know how to be among so many people, and my brain couldn't process, and I had a flat out breath like I couldn't. It, took over me sort of physically. Like I couldn't catch my breath and, you know, I, I don't know. It was just a weird, weird experience. So as much tending to that mental health as I've been doing, you know, writing and walking pretty much every day and reading good, healthy stuff uh, and doing all these other things that are good for my mental health, man, I had this episode that I'm just like, okay, dude, you, you, you don't have it. You're not there. You know, you got to keep, tending to it kind of a thing. So I don't know if that answers your question. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. I think it speaks like straight to the heart of the question. Okay. Sarah, I don't want to interrupt you. Sorry. We'll talk over each other a bunch, just so you know, we still haven't quite figured out hand signals or something. Um, Yeah. Panic attacks are the worst. I have generalized anxiety disorder with panic attacks and comorbid OCD. So, um, empathy that's yeah they're rough they end but when you're in the middle of it it's the worst feeling in the world i think yeah and i just didn't recognize it for what what it was Mm -hmm. because i i i thought it was just uh i I don't know maybe i got up too quick and and my breath got away from me or something or i knew that my thoughts were just like running away like crazy so i had this kind of exterior awareness of it but I, I didn't recognize it fully for what it was, 
you know, there was just too much input, too many people and many people that I knew and many people that I had some sort of connection with, uh, some good, several bad, you know, and, and it was just too overwhelming, you know, and, and, uh, not being around a ton of people, uh, I think fed into it as well. So it's just a weird experience I'm trying yeah. to process it. Yeah. So. Well, we send you vibes. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate totally that. Relate. <laughs> yeah. Hard relate. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's been a, it's been a quite of a, a reintroduction to social things for, for me too. I spend a lot of time hobbiting as I call it, just sort of like, no, no adventures or strangers. No. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and then inter intermixed with like bat wild adventures. Um, but and I, you know, it, it's because, you know, there's like the panic attack. I don't get panic attacks per se, but I've definitely had to like run away and hide from people before. And, um, and it's an interesting thing, like noticing how like you want to be around people, but you don't want to be around people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a interesting paradox we're in. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's, um, I think, I, I think I've had bits of this throughout most of my life where uh, speaking of movies, like I, I would sit and wait for the credits to roll, not because I was interested in reading all the credits, but because I, I, oh, I've always had a hard time being in that, the herd part of who, when people are leaving the movie theater, you know, it just, mm-hmm. not that I'd have a, I never actually had that kind of an episode that I was describing before, but I've always been sort of uncomfortable. I preferred not to find myself there. I get like claustrophobic, you know, from too many people too close kind of a thing, uh, but never quite to that extent. And then certainly over this last year and a half, we've gotten out of the habit of it. It's like a muscle that you exercise getting used to being around people, you know, um, and putting up with crazy shit all day, every day, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. But figuring it out, I guess. Yeah. Muddling, muddling our way through. <laughs> I mean, I think that's what any of all of us are doing right now. So I feel like if we started this project during the pandemic and it's obviously different than like going to a party or having those kind of more surface level social interactions. But I often like was glad we had this project because at least it kept me talking and conversating with people. Um, so speaking of podcasts and conversating, I would love to hear about sort of the inspiration and motivation behind talking politics and religion without killing each other. Hopefully I said all those words in the right order. (laughs) Politics and religion without killing each other. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, things that led up to this and some things just become so obvious. It's kind of, I'm guessing like writing a song, some, some songs, they force themselves to be written. You know, they just kind of jump out at you. And, And a lot of times the best songs are you it's not even like a conscious thing uh it, they just sort of jump out on the on your ukulele or your guitar or in my case the piano it just kind of jumps out and there it is this one uh i can trace it back easily to when i first became a christian my dad really objected to that decision on my part because we grew i grew up very observantly jewish um so we started having these conversations about it uh, he, he initially was considering the possibility of, of disowning me and, and all that stuff. And oh, wow. the religious side of that, like he even considered the possibility of, 
um, sitting Shiva, which is like the Jewish ritual you go through when somebody in your family dies. He didn't do that because he valued our relationship more than his convictions as a, as a Jew. But we did have many conversations over many years about these differences, these grave differences. Uh, and we had to find a way to talk about it through those differences and to value the relationship through those differences. So that was one, but also, you know, broaden that circle a bit. I started becoming aware of what the issue was that I was most passionate about. And it wasn't an, a political or social issue. Per, well, it was a social issue, but it wasn't a political issue per se. The issue wasn't fiscal policy or in, you know, foreign policy or any policy. The issue was how we engage with, quote unquote, the other side. That, that whole like mindset, that whole disposition of seeing someone who disagrees with you about whatever, minimum wage, as the other side. As if there's no, there's no opportunity to say, well, this person isn't for this particular piece of legislation, but can I find common ground? Can I be in dialogue with that person? Or can we get to the end of the road here and say, you know, we just, I'm voting yes, I'm voting no, or I'm pushing this legislation. But at the end of the day, we can still have a relationship because there might be some other legislation that we can vote and get on this, you know, on, uh, be shoulder to shoulder with, right? You know, one, one person that really <laughs> characterized that is uh, Sarah Palin. Um, for me, I liked the idea when I heard about her, number one, just having a female um, VP level candidate was pretty cool. I also dug the fact that she bucked her own party in her state. That's how she was introduced. This is a person with executive level experience uh, and she bucked her own party in her state. And that's, I always dig people have an independent voice that way. And then she opened her mouth, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know, and, and I say that sort of jokingly, but it, it was just like it, certain personal styles. It, it's, it's a personal style. But what I really objected to was she, like very many others before her, whether it was starting with Rush Limbaugh or um, what's his name? Uh, Speaker of the House in, in Clinton, the Clinton era. Um, Newt Gingrich, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they couldn't seem to talk about folks who disagreed with them on anything without demonizing, first of all, mischaracterizing um, the, the other side's positions, but also by demonizing them. And now that's become an entire industry. Now that's dominated our entire culture, you know, and, and the proclivity is from folks from all different perspectives. It's just, it's like a cancer that runs rampant through our whole culture. So anyway, Sorry, I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but that's really the issue I was trying to address with talking politics and religion without killing each other. I want to talk about tough stuff, but I want to do it in such a way where we honor the humanity of the people that we disagree with. So that's, mm. yeah, that's the, that's the inspiration for it. That's, that. I think that really is, it's huge and it's important. It gets to... Um, the core of, you know, communication, which is, you know, what keeps, keeps humanity going. And interestingly, I think, I think what you're trying to do is something that ironically, you know, the religious sort of institutions of our lifetimes and the political institutions of our 
of times have intentionally made difficult because it's Mm -hmm. so much easier to control people who are arguing, right? So we've got these two parties that insist they're against each other, even though they all do like the same stuff. (laughs) It's just some of them are a little bit meaner about it and more overt. Um, But, you know, as we've noticed, Joe Biden's policies are not that different from um, his predecessors, whose name I won't say. Because he doesn't need the press. <laughs> Even though we're not the press, whatever, I won't say. We are the press. We are the media. <laughs> we are the press, and I won't say his name. Yeah. But either way, like, I think the reason what you're doing, the, the reason why it really um, struck a chord with me when you when you brought it up is that I think that it's interesting for someone who fits your demographic as a Christian, as a a white man who is not in a place of suffering particularly, to have a passion for wanting to create unity rather than division. Like you're kind of bucking your party, bud. I'm kind of saying. Yeah. So I get I get what you're saying regarding the Christian part of it, uh, because American evangelicals in particular haven't availed themselves well uh, in in recent decades. I think not just the last five, six years, but in recent decades. But again, I, I, I'm only one generation removed from a good chunk of my family burning in ovens. Mm -hmm. Those are stories that are part of my story. Um, Two generations and grew up with my grandmother came from Russia who had to leave that area that they were in for a couple of centuries uh, because of the pogroms. That's part of my formation and my story. Um, I, I don't know, this might sound controversial, but it's, I have a hard time identifying as white. I know that I don't have a ton of melanin in my skin, but I should, the only reason that I don't look Middle Eastern is because and this might sound harsh, but like it's because Northern hordes came down to where my grandmother, the town in Cherny Ostrov, where my grandmother's family had been for a couple of centuries and raped my ancestors. So I, I have lighter skin because of that reality. So listen, I'm not trying to co-opt the story of my friends who are African-Americans or Native Americans or people of color. I'm not trying to you know, say, listen, um, like have a suffering contest and say my suffering is, is this way or that way. But I, I have had a hard time uh, over the last year and a half uh, being, uh, there, there are some conversations, this, this is where the rubber beats the road. Um, but I, I've, I've, wanted to, I've wanted to be a productive person with regard to um, healing and, and reconciliation. Um, on on race issues, but a couple of those haven't gone well because I have lighter skin and because of my you know the genitalia that I happen to have, and I, I it bothers me it bothers me because those are data points, um, but they don't define my humanity or my story, you know, um, and and listen if even if I was a wasp, uh, you know from a very rich family which which I'm not. Um, but even even if I was, if if I wanted to be an ally, and I didn't, I wanted to be an ally in such a way that didn't fall into the same institutional sin as imperialists of the last couple millennia, if not more, um, 
can I, how can I help is, is really my posture. Can I help? And how, if so, how, you know, I don't want to impose my will because I know that's been the problem. Uh, that's been repeated again and again and again, historically. But if I want to be an ally and I want to be part of redeeming this, 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 what's ailing us as a society and a country, can, can I, and if so, how? So that's I covered a lot of ground there. So anyway, <laughs> no, I appreciate that perspective a lot. And I've sort of have, let me see if I can pull my thoughts together. Cause I've been thinking a lot about sort of how the conversation about identity politics was useful up to a point, but now it needs to evolve. I think it was a really useful Photoshop layer in a way to put over things to help you understand positionality and power, but there are lots of other layers too. And I personally don't have a lot of patience for any discussion of intersectionality that doesn't include class because that's literally what the original definitions of intersectionality included. So, um, so I think there's like a reductiveness that you were kind of speaking to that can sometimes get in the way of building solidarity and healing and giving grace, um, you know, room for people to learn from their blind spots and we need to do that work because the world is literally on fire. And I kind of don't have a lot of patience at this point for folks that just want to have this circular firing squad. Sorry to use such a buzzword that I always hear used about, like, the Democratic Party and stuff. But, like, anyway, I don't want to go on a whole rant, but um, I appreciate that perspective because I think that we do need to f find a way to incorporate the lessons from IADPOL while um, pushing into something greater that actually builds community. I don't know if that was really a question, but no, no, I appreciate the intent. There is, is um, so on the one hand, empathizing with those who are enraged, you know, who have experienced, you know, oppression, real oppression, uh, who have experienced aggression, uh, who have experienced the wrong end of the stick in terms of opportunity uh, and, and everything in between. Like, so. Um, that's what I'm hearing. I'm also hearing um, building community. Yeah, let's build community because we got to figure out how to live together and all different kinds of networks. Like I got to live together with Angel and Maria next door, my neighbors. You know, I got to live together with uh, Pete and, you know, and them that that has Fox News on all the time every day. And but, you know, I love his dog and we see each other every day on our walks, you know, and um and they are a part of my community. I got to also find community with the people in my family. I can't change the fact that they're my family. And some of us have, you know, crazy uncle Joe family. Who's, you know, going to, y'all got to figure out, you know, it, it really was stolen kind of a thing. And <laughs> it's, that, that one's hard for me. Like the guys who are still talking about that, but you know, um, I don't know, finding empathy and building community, with folks that we really, really disagree with on really, really important things. I mean, that's, that's the challenge. So, but that's, that's where we're at, you know, and, and, and are we, are we up to that challenge and can we find, um, can we find the self-sacrificial love? Uh, I'll, I'll give you one example. Um, somebody that's really close to me that I really, really love hasn't gotten vaccinated yet. I care about this person. And when the vaccines first came available, uh, it was a fight. We fought about it. Um, and then, and then I realized every other person in close in his life was, was fighting with him about it. And, and I look back and I wish, I really wish I dealt with it differently 
because the truth is he was open to it at one point. Um, and this isn't the best reaction. It's not the most mature reaction, but after folks basically shaming him, harassing him and all the rest, after a couple months of that, he was just like, fuck all y'all. Like, no, just uh, like, I'm going to take my chances. But now part of it is just like, y'all pissed me off. And, and now it's not even an option for me. He, he absolutely dug his heels in. So I look back at how we dealt with him, not in love, but in shame and harassment mm -hmm. and stuff like that. It, it, we, we did more harm than good. I think, I think there was a better than 50, 50 chance that he would have gotten the, the vaccine. But now to him, it's like more of a, Granted, you can see it as him like kind of throwing a temper tantrum that's going to endanger himself and everybody around him. So there's that, you know, but <laughs> even if I made that argument to him, he'll find that entirely unpersuasive, <laughs> you know? So, but finding how to be with each other, figuring out how to be a community to your point, that's the challenge. And are we up to it? So I, I don't know. I, I hope so. Uh, but it's, it's worthwhile investing in those relationships and staying in those conversations to give us the best shot, at least do my part, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also as someone whose ancestors um, were Jewish and emigrated um, during, I'm not exactly sure. I'm not, a, I don't have as great of a handle on my family history um, as you do. Um, but yeah, I feel like in my blood, there is like a sort of, understanding that without unity it's it's actually death um <laughs> if you if you can't literally stand up to the fascists you know together then you will die and um it's so interesting to see how you know i i don't think most most people in the u.s are aware of how many nazis were given positions in the u.s um after the end of world war ii and how how that ideology came to foment here at the highest levels of government. But like, you know, I, I think you're, you know, you're, you're pointing at not a different um, source of division. It's the same source of division that's, that's been moving through generations. Um, and it's just taking different shapes. So I'm, I'm curious how, um, how your, well, I don't want to like go into too deep or ideological of, I don't want to go into an ideological rabbit hole, okay. but I do, I am curious about how your, your Christianity overlays as a filter and onto the world and how, how you see through it, because there are so many different versions. I grew up a homeschooled James Dobson focus on the family Christian. Oh my God. Yeah. So there's a whole lot of different <laughs> types of Christianity, right? <laughs> and, and I was raised by people who had converted. So, um, yeah, so I'm curious what your what your Christianity filter is like. Sarah, did you have a similar experience? No, I was just going to say at the opposite experience. I had a politically progressive Episcopal minister as a father. <laughs> so complete opposite. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So first, by way of confession, I I know we're not supposed to have regrets if we're like evolved. Like no regrets. Like no, fuck that. I have regrets. Um, so one of my greatest regrets as a as a dad is any ounce of influence that that i allowed to enter in from james fucking dobson um uh, and it really grieves me it really grieves me now listen i'm not gonna shy away from or apologize for the fact that i believe in the life death and resurrection of jesus i believe he's messiah and i i believe in the authority of scripture i like i have a high like 
I, I don't want to apologize for that. I don't want to water it down, but I must be reading a very different Bible than some of these motherfuckers who are reading it, you know? That statement alone says a lot. Go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Um, because, I, I mean, I literally, like, there are some people I used to go to church with. I went to, I went to a church that was influenced. I live in a town where uh, this guy named John MacArthur is, um, he's a, a big pastor and he heads up the university, master's university. And they're one of these guys that, um, one of these uh, schools of thought that, well, if you don't believe in literal six day, 24 hour creation, then, you know, you're just not reading it right. And they would go so far, some would go so far as to say, you're not really a Christian. My thought is, listen, read that as an origin story. But I'm telling you, like, even if you believe that a million or so people were at the foot of Mount Sinai hearing the actual voice of God uttering those words in the beginning, God, blah, 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 you know, the rest of Genesis one, I guarantee you, I know my people, I'm a Jew. I know my people, not a single one said, I wonder if he means a literal 24 hour day. You know what I mean? Like, you're just missing the damn point of the story. You know, can we just read it as, as, as a formation story for who we are as a people and what the actual story is about, you know, the actual story is about like, like there's, there's stuff wrong in the world. Right. And, and, and this God, this creator God, and I'm just talking from a literary standpoint, not from like a religious standpoint, but like this, this God has created a people to, to redeem this creation, redeem the world, right? And I think even my most non-religious friends, my most, not just atheist, but like anti-theist friends would say, yeah, there's bad stuff going on. And as human beings, we can get together and, and try to solve some of that bad stuff. You know, it, like that's ultimately what the whole story is about. Even going into the New Testament, beyond the Hebrew Bible, into the New Testament, the Jesus character, he's reforming and redefining who those people are, not just from the descendants of Abraham, but the people around him that believe in the Sermon on the Mount, you know? And I don't know, like when, when we look at a character, then we won't mention the name, and we think of like truths, and we can all agree that virtues like the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, that individual that we won't name has none of those characteristics. <laughs> or we can agree that love is a good thing, right? But what is love as defined in, in I say, I believe in, in scripture, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. That character has none of those things. He's like on the wrong side of that equation. So I, your question is, how do I filter my beliefs through my, my uh, Christianity or like what's going on in the world and how I engage in the world through my Christianity? I think it holds up, but we gotta read it intelligently. We gotta read it like, the, the, the most fundamental law starts with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So again, even setting aside the religious part of it, we can agree that we, um, with all your heart, we have emotions. With all your heart, soul, we're spiritual. You know, there's something transcendent about us as, as, as human beings or animals or there's something transcendent about us, right? Um, heart, soul, mind. We're intelligent. We think and strength. We have this physical interaction with the world, right? So but that leads to the next thing. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's pretty, that transcends like religions and philosophies. That's like universal. So we can do that. And then for my Christian friends in the church, I feel like a lot of the prophets in the Bible, they weren't talking to like America or, or the outside 
uh, world, a lot of the prophets were talking to the church or to the people of God, right? Because they're the ones who are sinning. And I feel like that's the kind of time that we're in right now. Like these guys are looking at the former guy, the, the disgraced ex guy, like the, as, as like the next coming, are you kidding me? I literally can turn every page of the Bible, open up any page of the Bible. And it testifies against the words and actions and character of this, this individual that's dominated our politics and our society for the last however many years. It's been too long. Day one was too long. Go, you know, going down on the golden escalator. That was, that was long enough for me. I mean, I was over and done with him when he bought the freaking New Jersey generals in, in 1980, whatever. So anyway, <laughs> sorry, I went on a rant, but, but you started it. <laughs> we do do that. We do start Wait. the rants. Yeah. Yeah. You got me all fired up now. So. <laughs> You're listening to what the folk real talk and raw tunes for revelationary times. Your hosts are Sarah Baranowskis and Joy Damiani. Our guest on this episode is Corey Nathan. You can find out more information about the show and stream every episode at whatthefolkpod.com. And you can find out more about Corey at nathanmcdowell.com. And now, back to the conversation. Gosh, so much of what you said kind of resonates with my own personal journey. I wouldn't say I... Personally, I'm a practicing Christian anymore, but I find some of those foundational, especially like New Testament gospels, to be a pretty good roadmap of just like how to be a decent human being and even how to show up for social justice work, which was a very important part of both my father's ministry and my mother's as just kind of worldview as like a feminist and a progressive. And um, so it's really interesting to see, like, I feel like these other models don't get airtime. They don't get voices every... You know, everyone just sees the Christian right. So, you know, someone like me moving in leftist spaces, if I bring, you know, I don't know, sometimes there's some good stuff in the Gospels. Like, remember, whenever I'm stressed out, I'm like, remember the lilies of the field, motherfucker. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> motherfucker, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, but, so, but, but here's the thing. Yeah. This is something to be encouraged about is, sorry, I, I cut you off. No, no, I think I was pretty much done with my okay. thoughts. So go uh, ahead. But here's the thing, like, if you look at history, it is those movements of nonviolent resistance that outlived the empires. You know, as, as Jews, we can, we can think of like the Babylonians, the Persians, the whatever is like all of those um, empires that dominated the, the areas, the large areas where Jews uh, resided. The Jews are still around. You know, but a lot of those empires are gone, long gone for centuries and centuries. And it wasn't the Jews who had the spears and the swords and the weapons and the armies. You know, yeah, there were kind of brief uprisings like the Maccabees. But like but for the most part, we've been forced to be this non a people of nonviolent resistance, people of the word, people of truth, people of a set a code of ethics. And that is why we still survive. Right. And if you look at if you look at, um, you know, when Dr. King when his, when his social ministry was first coming about, you know, who is dominating politics and culture at that time? Somebody like, uh, um, John, uh, what was his name? The guy with the, the, the red scare, um, in Congress. Oh, Joseph McCarthy. Joseph yeah. McCarthy. Yeah. Right. But, but who, who won the day in the end? They even had to, had to assassinate Dr. King in 1968. But, but who, who's, whose truth won the day? Whose morality won the day? It was a man of social justice. Now, yeah, he happened to be a Christian who was inspired by the word, but there were uh, several, many others. Whose who's, who's work 
uh, transcends and, and is, is going to be longer lasting. The work of, of a nonviolent resistor like Gandhi or, or the British Empire that was that was occupying his homeland, you know. So I don't know. I'm, I'm encouraged that like at, in the moment there, there are guys with guns who, who seem to rule the day. But over time, over time, I think it's those who some who, who trust that what's good is good. What's true is true. And good and true are those people like Gandhi, like Dr. King, that that submit to nonviolent resistance. And, and, and some of the things that I see happening over this last year and a half, you know, and yeah, there have been these these outbursts uh, of folks that that don't really represent uh, the various causes and the protests that we've seen. Um, but but I, even those I ask, man, what, what what are they so angry about? You know, like not, not like not like in a scolding way, but like le- legitimately, like, why are you so angry? I want to understand. You know, I still very, very much prefer those who've gone and, and gone about it in a nonviolent way. Uh, you know, I strongly, strongly support that. Um, but even those who've 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 had outbursts. Uh, of violence, uh, I'm still, I, I want to understand better. So anyway, again, sorry, I know you started, it's all your fault. It's another rant. <laughs> well, it's really, inter- the things that you're bringing up are super interesting because I would love, I would love to like bring in a little bit of extra um, context too, because I feel like, um, you know, you're, we're talking about a lot of really, you know, like multi-generational concepts that have you know had their root and then they've morphed and um you know when we talk you know when we talk about gandhi when we talk about dr king um and we talk about nonviolence, i think it's really important to pay attention to the context around them which is that dr king went everywhere with a security detail um and that gandhi you know gandhi would not have been successful in his nonviolent movement had not the Britain, the British military already depleted, deeply depleted their resources in India. And also they were being met with extremely violent backlash from the Indians because what they had done was they had, um, they had issued uh, ammunition grease that was cow fat. Mm. <laughs> and, and they were, they were having Hindus, Hindus, um, grease their, their weapons with animal fat and their bullets with animal fat. And they were like, Oh, hell no. And, and there was this major, major backlash, um, around, um, violent massacres, you know? So it was, we hear a lot about the success of the nonviolent movement, but that was a piece and it came at the end. And, um, the fact is that the reason people are angry is because of the the killing, <laughs> because of the lots of killing, and um, that is you know I was in the protests in Portland and I was standing there with my hands on my hips when a scope was pointed at me and I was shot in the collarbone by a federal agent standing in the shadows um, by a projectile. So like the thing is that I think we, while we're talking with each other who are not the powerful people. You know, that's the thing that we we lose um, in a lot of these back and forths is that none of us have power. 
when we're talking with each other that are not the powerful people and we're disagreeing, like it really makes no difference to the power structures, how, whether we agree or not. Um, you know, we, we live in a country that has tanks on the streets in many cities. You know, nonviolence actually doesn't always, you know, it's really just a matter of the individual driving the tank if, if nonviolence is going to work. So, you know, just to provide a little bit of context, because I, I, I also was at one point of the mindset where it's like, we need to just be nonviolent all the time until I realized like, that's a really great way to um, just keep getting killed. I think it's a, a totally fair point. And at the end of the day, you know, I have theological convictions that have to reckon with realities on the ground. And sometimes, you know, sometimes, or more directly to what you're saying, um, I think I hear you saying, like in the case of Dr. King, uh, well, should we side with Dr. King or Malcolm X? And I think you're saying it requires a little bit of both, right? A lot of both. They were both yeah. saying the same thing, really, yeah. when it comes down to it. Just one yeah. was more easy to market. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Well, you got me thinking. I... <laughs> Okay. So you got me thinking, I have to rethink my assumptions then. <laughs> we all, we all are all the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's part of why we started this podcast. Yeah. yeah, no, it's good. It's good for me to sort of untangle, untangle some of the conclusions I've arrived at and rethink, you know, as it pertains, for example, to protests that are going on in this town um, and how, how we can be more effective at anything from like changing the name of a racial uh, uh, mascot for the high school to, you know, so things that are even more systemic that hold people of color down, um, all, all kinds of folks who are marginalized um, that aren't given opportunity sort of systemically. So, um, and yeah, now I have to, it's all connected. It sounds kind of theoretical, but I, I don't think it is. I, I just have too many thoughts for me to articulate right now. <laughs> so you gave me something to think about. Well, aw. So kind of speaking of that systematic critique, I think, you know, Joy and I don't share the same brain, but largely we share the same kind of systematic critiques of imperialism, of capitalism, things like that. Um, and we're kind of also interested in how we create these spaces that are offering alternative pathways or maybe even islands outside those power structures because we're pretty skeptical that the system is able to be reformed. And we may differ on point. I, I, I would say I, I, I think the system's unable to be reformed. I'll just put, for my, for my piece, yeah. I'm beyond yeah. skeptical. Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I always hold out the hope for infinite possibilities, but... Um, I, you know, I love this project that you're doing that's based in dialogue. And I'm kind of curious, and this might be a big question I keep coming back to, how do you think dialogue can kind of play a role for folks like us who maybe don't often get a seat at the table that have these broader systematic critiques that want to vision alternatives and how we can expand the dialogue so maybe folks working inside the system can better understand, you know, where we're coming from? Well, I think dialogue is key because if you have dialogue, not debate, Debate is something different. Debate is contentious. I'm talking about dialogue and specifically seeking out folks that you disagree with. 
and maybe start with somebody who you largely agree with, but on a particular issue, disagree with, you know, and I think if we do have indeed have dialogue, we, we have to, there's, there's a face and a name to the person that you're, you're speaking with. You know, if, if too much of our dialogue isn't really dialogue, it's just like keyboard warriors that without any names, even that are just like lobbing these rhetorical pieces of ammo at, at somebody they see as other. And that's not good. That just continues this sort of destructive path that we're on, but we can redeem that. We can reclaim that ground by talking to folks who have very different theological, philosophical frameworks than we do and understand them. Um, not that we need to be best friends and even find agreement with them, but to at least humanize that person. Like this is a human being that I'm speaking to. And, you know, they, quick story. <laughs> so um, the lady who is running for our congressional district here in California 25 is, um, I, I first met her when she was a state assembly member here in California, in our district in California. And I introduced myself by saying, hey, Christy, I'm Corey. It's a pleasure to meet you, but I voted against you uh, she, at that point, I think she ran three times. Um, I voted against you every time. And her response was so cool. It was like, oh, well, we live in a democracy. So that's, you know, okay, cool. She asked me why. And I, you know, she's, um, she supported some legislation that wasn't very good for, uh, for small business owners. So I, I, we talked about some of that, you know, so <laughs> this is a, this was a nasty trick, what she just pulled on me, what she did. <laughs> And I say that with a smile. I, I love what she did. She said, you know, I really appreciate that. I have a small business committee as part of her, um, you know, her, her job as, as assembly member here in California. I'd love for you to be on the committee. And I'm like, listen, Chrissy, that's all well, well and good of you, but I, you don't need to give me lip service. But she's like, no, no, just come and be a part of the committee. Not only did she invite me to it, even though she knew that I voted against her and we had differences, I saw that some of what we discussed worked its way into legislation that she was supporting. Now, it did. It wasn't my legislation. It wasn't completely what I supported. But some of my, some of what I was hoping for and and articulating and arguing for in those meetings worked its way into her legislation. Now that is not gonna. That's not gonna. That's not like this end all be all, all peace in the world. You know, lions and lambs lying down together. But it's one little tiny sand thing, like piece of sand that it people who disagree on a lot of things. I probably vote 75% against the way that Christie would, the, the legislation that she would support, which now she's running for Congress. And I'll tell you what, I don't care if she votes 75% of the time against what I would individually support. I love the process by which she arrives at her decisions. I love the inclusive nature, the fact that she'd actually represent our diverse district. I love the fact that she included me in the conversation or someone like me in the conversation, even though I voted against her. Right. I love the integrity by which she she arrives at, at her decision making. So I'm going to support that because the person that is in the seat right now, I might vote like we might have a sort of philosophical disposition, supposedly on the surface. But the dude is a fraud. The dude's a fraud. He's he's he doesn't believe in democracy. At the end of the day, he's voted to overturn 
the Electoral College in Pennsylvania, Arizona. He voted like there are certain votes that I was like, dude, this is a softball. You, you're voting to take a person off of the education committee, a person who thought it was totally cool to, to basically hunt down a child who just saw almost 20 of his students and, and teachers slaughtered. And you thought it was totally cool to hunt him down and harass him in public. Like that person just doesn't belong on the education committee. And the guy who represents us represents us is, is voting to keep her on the education committee. Like, I don't care if we, if like you're supposedly a fiscal conservative and social libertarian and stuff that I maybe identify with on the surface. I don't care. Your integrity is not there. Your, 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 um, your, I don't know, your convictions aren't there. Your bravery isn't there. Like, I can't get behind that no matter how you vote. So that's maybe the former with Christy Smith. Um, even, even if we, she has a different letter before her name than I might, and I, I'm an independent. So I, you know, or, or if she typically might vote one way or the other, but the dialogue and, and, and humanizing folks, as opposed to mischaracterizing people's positions, generalizing what they're all about based on one data point that you might might have, and then demonizing them and engaging in sort of rhetorical warfare or otherwise based on mischaracterizations, generalizations, and demonizations. So humanize folks and, and be in dialogue with them. I guess that's the really long-winded way of, of mm -hmm. uh, answering that question. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a really it's important to think about how how we've ended up without dialogue. I think it's interesting. Something that you've you touch on a couple of times is this idea of democracy, and I I will gently posit that we actually don't live in a democracy, and we never have. Um, we've lived in a representative republic republic for white males with property. Um, and that has slowly opened itself up to other people with property um, and, you know, other people in general, but not all people, as evidenced by the fact that we don't, we have an electoral college. We don't have one person, one vote. None of us vote on whether to go to war. None of us have voted on, um, you know, whether Congress should um, get to keep their jobs if they can't save people's lives. Um you know, we don't we don't actually get to vote on most of the fundamental things that run our lives. And the idea that we have a democracy is, I think, one that more people, I think, of the next generations beyond Sarah and me are real. They're kind of having that conversation with each other. Like, we, we don't have a democracy, right? No, no, we don't. No. OK, great. Cool. Um, and those of us who are not in those generations still kind of have a foot on the side of, you know, we're, we're playing this political game, but really like we're in climate change and politics is a farce in a lot of ways to, to actually getting, it's, it's a barrier to getting things done at this stage, according to a lot of the next generations. Um, who so Congress, you said only, Congress is a, is a, um, the a barrier entire, to that? The entire uh, the entire U.S. political system is rooted mm. in um, oppression, genocide, and capitalism, and um, and slavery. And so you can't reform something that's rooted in literally killing and depressing people and exploiting them. All you can do is say, "Cool, that was built, and now we have to build a different thing." And the people that you know, I have friends uh, who do local politics and even who are attempting to 
do like state level and greater politics. But at, until we have like one term limits on politicians, every politician is a career politician, then that's their career and that's how they should be seen. And so when I look, when I see your, your, when you're talking about this woman, Christy, I'm like, yeah, she's a, she's an excellent politician. She did exactly the right thing. She saw someone who could have been an enemy and she said, Hey, enemy, let me make you a friend. Come on in. <laughs> Come sit at my table. Aren't you happy there? Sit there for a minute. I'll be right back. And then all of a sudden, you're now you're participating and you're not critiquing anymore. That's an excellent politician. Um, it's not necessarily a good person, uh, but it's an excellent politician. And I think when we talk about integrity, I think it's one of the things that has helped me to see the humanity in people is to see that we are all together being exploited by the predator class as um, was it crash who said, who called it that, who called it the predator class, Sarah, on one of our previous episodes. I think it was crash, but I can't remember. Crash Barbosa. But thank you yeah. for reminding me of that term. Cause I prefer that to some of the other terms that get thrown around. Yeah. So. So anyway, I, I feel like this is a really interesting point you're bringing up, and this is what this is kind of inspiring in my my um, my mental reflex. I didn't mean to, if you want to, I didn't mean to jump all over things. <laughs> no, no, I think you make a fair point. It's something that I I've, I definitely think about. I mean, we can't ignore the fact that the this land that we now call the United States was stolen from people who were here before us. Uh, and, and we didn't and are still here and are still here. Um, and, and it was the, the economies were built on the backs of people that we stole from another land. Uh, and all of those people to say they weren't treated well is like the understatement of the century. Um, so I, I, I take your point, um, about what you're saying and, and it, it's a continuation of, a long history, a bad history of uh, empire domination, um, ruling by by force um, and not by uh, an ethic we would consider good. Uh, I but I I don't know. I, I just maybe it's the optimist in me. I I don't I don't want to say that that's the entire story. You know, I like a lot of. I'll give you a different example as to why I, I, I don't know. There, there are heroes within even those systems, you know, like Wilberforce in, in England or, or um, what was his name? Uh, a German theologian in world war two. He was a part of the church, uh, but he became a part of the resistance as well. He was a voice from within the church as well as he, he, he attempted actually to your point about nonviolence or not nonviolence. he, was ultimately arrested and uh, and put to death because he was part of an assassination attempt against Hitler. Um, this is a theologian who spent his life talking about nonviolent resistance, but he said, no, man, this, we got to do this thing, <laughs> you know, and, it, and he went to his own death attempting to do that thing. Um, I can't believe I forgot his name, but, but yeah, uh, I, I don't want to have, I want to hold out hope. I want to hold out hope that maybe in a system that is altogether cancerous and bad in all kinds of ways, that there are green shoots and individuals that are 
worth engaging and, and having a relationship with and finding the humanity in, you know, whether it's somebody that shows some good stuff like Christy, like I talked about before, or, um, you know, people in government or people part of other institutions that again, can join in some sort of collaboration for, for something good, uh, or, or to, to resist against all that's bad that you're talking about, you know, I don't know. I just, again, I just want to hold out hope, you know? Um, and that might not, that might include the possibility we were talking before about, you know, whether democracy as we know it, uh, doesn't exist. And you're saying it doesn't exist already. It never has. Um, you know, and that's okay. You know, that's okay because my family lived through, you know, Catherine or great, great, a couple of different czars. They were caught in the middle of the czarists and the Bolsheviks and the Russian revolution. And, you know, uh, and, and they survived despite the fact the only thing all those guys agreed upon is everybody could hate the Jews, you know, like that was the only point of agreement they, they could find. And yet they survived. So maybe that's what it is in me. Uh, I, I'm, I'm used to, I, we have like, if you're a Jew and, and I still identify as a Jew, um, because that's who I am. I can't shake that any more than I can shake, you know, I'm f- five foot seven on a good day when the wind's blowing, right? Like I, I just can't shake it. Um, but as a Jew, like, first of all, if you're not suffering, you're not trying. So there, that's part of it, you know, but the other part of it is like, they came, they tried to kill us and take over us and kill us and dominate us. And we escaped. Now let's eat, you know, like, you know, so that's kind of our story too. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that's, that's, what's kind of kicking in, in me, sort of this cultural heritage sort of impulse, like, but I might be wrong. I mean, we all might be wrong. And I think we're always the first to admit that. Um, One thing that I've been, it's weird because I was actually thinking about this last night and the idea of democracy. And and if we never quite have one, I, how do I want to phrase this? I still think a lot of the ideals, the idea of codifying essential rights, even if those things were written by imperfect, problematic people, even if they were only meant to apply to a certain number of people at the time they were written, there's still ideals that are worth having as some kind of baseline. And maybe how we get there is a lot of different paths. Maybe it's, you know, maybe there's an electoral path. Maybe there's, you know, the folks like us who want to kind of build these alternative pathways. Because reality is this and that, you know, it's not either or. I'm I have a real beef with reductive thinking in general, which is probably why I'm not on social media hardly ever. But, like, you know, we have to be able to look at all these different layers at once. Um, well, I would I, – so that sparks a question in me. I'm interested in how Joy would, would, would um, think about this. One is, is – can we first – can we first agree on, like, what's right and wrong and what's good and bad? And – and that also assumes the we, like who's the we, <laughs> like who's the we that's uh, deciding on all this. And is there some sort of transcendent set of ideas, whether it's literature or uh, I was talking to a, a, a guy named Pete Dominic who referred me to, I, I forget what he called it. It's something through the UN. It's like the UN human rights kind of a deal. I, I wish I remembered the um, the title of the document that he was referring to, but he was like, yeah, how about the UN human rights thing, you know? And, but so that, that my question is, is there some sort of transcendent right and wrong, good and bad that we can agree upon? And the, sort of the question that precedes that is who's the we, who's, who's having this conversation. 
that then a lot of the rest of us can sort of defer to. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you if we want to go back to, you know, take it back to the Bible, let's say, let's go back to Matthew, let's go back to the Beatitudes, you know, um, the poor, the meek, the suffering, the voiceless, those, that's we, um, that's the, the great we that we're all looking at. And, um, and when we're talking about what matters and how to help each other, you know, feed each other, cl- uh, clothe each other, house each other, give each other health care, give each other what each other needs, give each other hugs. You know, I mean, because capitalism doesn't thrive when communities exist supporting all of each other just because. Um, we have, you know, patriarchy because my personal opinion an ancient matriarchy had things running too well and told the boys to go play. <laughs> I'd love to make that movie. That would be a great movie to make. Please make it. Can, yeah. I, can, I, can, can I write that movie? Please. Oh my God. Maybe I want to be involved. To do. Yeah. Let's make that movie in a world. In a world. Of, in a world is done by a woman. <laughs> I love um, it. But it, it really, and it's not, you know, obviously like there can be women in the matri- or in the patriarchy as well. But the point being that like all of these um, structures that we have governing us on a large scale keep us from connecting with one another on a small scale, which is the only scale that our brains are actually evolved enough to cope with. And this idea of globalism is kind of too much for our little brains. And we're freaking out. Like, we're all freaking out as humans right now, as far as I can tell. Are you experiencing that? Just like the sort of collective freak out? Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. And and I see it in small ways as well as big ways. I mean, I was sharing my experience before about, like, my own freak out. But, like, so ironically, my... Um, I hope they don't listen to this, my parents. But we had, like, a freak out within the family... <laughs> Because we, uh, my Elisa and, and and I and and one of our kids arrived at a birthday dinner a little bit late, so we just kind of it was already going on. And we sat down. And we said hello, hey, hey, everybody, you know. So my dad had like a massive freak out a couple of days later. He went all kinds of freaky on my wife because we didn't come over and hug them, and like, well, we hugged you when we said goodbye, and like, and I'm I'm just like not to get too deep into the specifics of it, but like. That was just like a freak out. That was like, dude, chill, man. If you were upset about it, then you could have just told us to come over and, and hug you or whatever, like come over and hug us. I don't know. Like, but it's a massive freak out. And I think, I think also like um, you've seen moments of this where it's like, we don't know how to deal with each other. You know, e- even if we're agreeing with each other completely, you know, we just know that we're all upset and raw. And obviously, you know, for a lot of folks after George Floyd was killed, you know, that was like this spark. And and even I was kind of alluding to it before, like even folks who wanted to be allies and be part of the solution. And we, we were still kind of yelling at each other because we, we were all upset and freaking out, you know. But I think it's happening in big ways, but it's happening in personal ways, too. And the only thing I can say is just don't I don't want to give up on each other, you know. A good friend of mine, a good friend. Okay. This is really, I think a a good example, a really good friend of mine. We did a lot of great work together. She was somebody that approached me about the other program that we were doing and said, dude, you could do better. You want to be part of the solution. Here's the solution. A lot of people of color, marginalized people, like our industry is run by a lot of white dudes. So you want to be a part of the solution. There are a lot of people of color, marginalized people, but at 
they're, they tend to be younger because they just started entering into the industry. So, and, and by the way, you're telling the story of the industry by way of these white dudes who've been in it for, you know, 50 years. Why don't we tell about the people who are in their bays at three o'clock in the morning, trying to crank out a six second bumper? Like that's the story today. And by the way, you'll be able to achieve, you know, um, this uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, you'd be able to achieve that. So she, not only did she say like, Hey, here's what you need to be doing. She became a part of it. Like, I'm like, I'm all for it, but you know, they're not taking my call. Cause I'm not cool enough, you know, or whatever. And she's like, okay, they'll take my call. So she became a co-host on it. She, she helped us get, um, people on and, and it was great. Just recently, um, I, I, I posted something about, um, free expression. I thought it was about free expression, but I, I definitely used the wrong example in, in our kind of common current events. Um, and she really reacted to it. It was Dave Chappelle's, uh, special. And I, I was specifically trying not to comment. If I did comment on it, I said, listen, I, this was cringeworthy. There, there were parts and I, I was more than uncomfortable, but I believe in free expression above everything else. Well, my friend just like was all over me and, and then a whole bunch of other people was like dogpiling the rabbit. Corey's like, you know, uh, you know, Corey's, um, encouraging violence against trans people. I'm like, no, no, no. I just believe in free expression. <laughs> you know, like, so we got into this thing and, and we did talk for the better part. I just saw her, uh, about a week ago. Um, and, uh, and we didn't talk for that whole time because, because I think it was part of this freak out thing that you're talking about. I think we're all, we all have open wounds, you know, and we're all wondering, are you part of the adversary or are you part of the cause? Are you part of the problem making things worse? Or are you part of the solution? Are you my friend or are you my adversary that's trying to tear me down? And I reacted in that framework as well. I thought, mm. man, we've done all this work together. You're my friend. You know me as a human being. And but now you've reduced me to white male privilege, you know, and she knows me better than that. Or, I mean, I, I, I would say being on the, the, the closer to the end of the spectrum that says free speech isn't free speech. If it is oppressing somebody else, I would say that a lot of the collective freak out on that is, um, that's growing pains. It's basically like what what's happening yeah. there is is sort of it's giving us all a chance to step back and say, okay, is when Dave Chappelle uses his platform, which is large, to say things that diminish and demean a group of people who are already um, attacked and targeted in, in our culture and subjected to violence. Um, is his speech free or is his speech actually violent speech? Because it's it's creating, it's fomenting a further atmosphere of polarity and division in which in which trans people suffer. And um and you know, I think that when hate it is hate speech in, in its own way. It's and it um it's it's not it's um and that is I think where we as evolving humans, um, you know, every time I feel like that sort of sense of like, oh, you're telling me that I can't say or do something that I've always said or done, or I've, I have to shift my thinking, I have a resistance to it. And that's that freak out. I'm, the collective freak out I'm more talking about right now is the fact 
that we are we are as a humanity trying to shake um, the oppressive uh, bound binding of capitalism and of patriarchy that is taking us all down with it. Um, and part of it is pushing back on these oppressive structures that say like all hate, all speech can be free, um, even if it's making somebody else less free. I am. Does that make sense to you? Sorry. No, no, it totally does. And, and I, I could, I could see that. I mean, if we're talking about the Chappelle thing, I, I don't know if that's a rabbit hole you want to go down, but I, I take your point. I take your point that, it, that his, humor or comedy if you want to see it that way or whatever free speech he was uh, asserting at that point was at the expense of others even if he arrived at um the humanity of his friend his trans uh, gender friend if that if all of that was um in service of arriving at this this larger point that he was making about the humanity of his friend his transgender friend um but if along the way you're doing all kinds of damage and there's all kinds of carnage uh, because it's supposedly mm-hmm. funny. Uh, that ain't funny. And it ain't serving yeah. this higher cause. It's And it's tokenizing his friend. Yeah. His one transgender friend. So, sorry, I don't want to go down, the, yeah. down that road. No, no, no. I, it's, it's, Sarah it's, getting a, getting it's, <laughs> it's a no, totally I, great I, point. It's a great I, point. Yeah, I don't really have much to add to the Chappelle thing because I didn't actually see it. And I'm a big believer going to the source before I pass judgment on something, which is one thing I do not like about internet pylons. And I'm also really sick of people calling everything violence. I think it diminishes actual violence and harm done to people. And I just want to throw that out there. But anyway, um, to kind of bring it full circle, I think it'd be really useful maybe for folks to hear sort of what are some mindsets or skills if you're trying to have dialogue with someone that you have to develop, um, whether it's a manner of being or like a literal skill that you need to bring to the table, I would just be curious, like what are some actionable qualities people can kind of cultivate in themselves? That's a great question. And I think it's exactly what you're doing right now. So we've developed this impulse that we can sort of deconstruct and start over again to have a response uh, as or a reply or a reaction in service of some imagined contest that we're trying to win. I think that's fucked. That's like that whole mindset is just fucked. I, I hope you guys get the kind of rating. I, Cause I've cursed a lot today. <laughs> oh, no, we, we love, we love the word fuck. It's okay. our favorite. Go for we, we fucking love used. it. It's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that mindset is just, I just, that's destructive, you know? So I think if we remember, again, just remember the humanity first and, and re, revisit and rebuild the talent for curiosity. You know, you guys, I mean, the real reason I reached out is because I'm so curious about you. I wanted to get to know you, like whether we recorded a conversation uh-huh. or not is like, you guys are such interesting humans. Like, so <laughs> we're weird. <laughs> we're real. We're real weird. <laughs> but uh, like weird in a beautiful way. Like, Aww. you know, Aww. like um, he, there's humor and poetry and, and beauty and just like, you know, it's, it's so cool. And yeah. Hey, listen, we're very, very different. And some of our 
um, some very important beliefs. Can you hear Charles Mingus? He's going crazy. <laughs> <gasps> that 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 probably could have been said of the actual Charles Mingus. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Wait, let me. T- I can. Is it really yeah. disturbing? Because I can put him up uh, stairs or something. I mean- if he's freaking out, you can go check on him if you want. Let maybe, me just make maybe there's yeah. a, maybe there's a person. I think so. Hold on, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Since we're good. This is Charles Mingus the third. Oh, wow, that was such a loud bark for such a I know, I was really picturing a much louder dog. He's he's trying to be polite. He's got his bow tie on. Oh, (laughs) sweetie. Bad dog. He's a rescue. So he was abused at the first year or so of his life. Um, So he has these like, he's always on edge. Um, Charlie, Charlie. Uh, I forgot. Oh, skills, skills. So we're trying to help Charlie develop skills of coping <laughs> um, and not think everyone, but it's hard. Like, okay, this is sort of a serious point. If you remember that his whole first year of life, he was either at best, he was ignored, you know, and put out in the cold or put out in the rain or what he observed was people mistreating each other, literally like, domestic abuse happening. And sometimes he was the target of that domestic abuse. Those were his formative days and months and his formative year. So if he's like freaking out about, you know, a noise that he hears, you got to keep that in mind, <laughs> you know? Uh, and I'm trying like, I'm, I'm not really trying to make a joke about it, but it's like a lot of us bring a lot of scars and open wounds into, into conversations, you know, but remembering that there's a story, there might be a reason behind that. Now, listen, there are some individuals, I won't even call them human beings that like are just, they're they're not human. They don't have a soul. I, if I, I might do like a doctoral level PhD study on, you know, that individual we were talking about before on the fact I can improve it empirically that that individual has no soul and thus is not actually human. You know, hey, so, so one of my first pieces of evidence is if you ever observe that creature in a room where music is playing, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't respond to music. Like if you're a human being, you respond to, there's a human response. There's just a response. Charles Mingus, the reason that he's called Charles Mingus is because a Charles Mingus uh, composition came on and he had a response to that. Like even my dog, like, so (laughs) anyways, again, like not totally joking about it, but um, remember the humanity in people um, and rebuild and and reignite that talent, that inspiration for curiosity about people. Um, and, and as opposed to going so quick to, you know, one of the things about um, when Jesus was the Jesus character in the New Testament was interacting with other people that might have been seen as an adversary. Oftentimes he would answer a question with a question. Why do you call me good? You know, that that's so interesting because it opens up. Number one, it opens kind of like what you did with me today, uh, Joy, a couple times is by um responding in such a way you opened up my own assumptions that I sort of put in a box and and make it part of what my thinking is, right? You opened up my assumptions. Um, and, and then you also opened it up for more dialogue. 
And if we have a little bit of dialogue, then maybe there's a relationship. And if there's a relationship, there's some bonding, there's some fiber between us that connects us. And then it, it will cost me something to do any sort of, whether it's, it's obviously violence or, or, or any sort of damage or any sort of harm, there's a cost to it because now we're connected in a way, you know? I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I, it's a great, and I want to think about it some more, but that's, that's what comes to mind, Sarah. Awesome. I think that's a great place to kind of wrap it up. I apologize. I feel like I could totally talk to you for so much longer. Thank well, you so I'd love much. to, it's, it's cool to hang out yeah. with you. Like that was really my MO. I just, you seem like <laughs> cool people. So I just oh, wanted to hang out with we're you. We're so cool. <laughs> we're the coolest. <laughs> don't tell don't tell anyone we're not cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Um, I actually I feel like cool is is overplayed these days. I'm really happy to be a nerd and I'm I'm actually just like I'm really happy that you reached out to us, Corey. Yeah. This has been such an interesting conversation that I would not have necessarily um initiated if you hadn't reached out, you know, just because when when would we have met? But yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. I think well, we glad. did oh sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. I was saying I think we did some good praxis here. <laughs> Absolutely. I was glad that you had Sam Samantha Hart on because I, I don't think I would have stumbled upon your your podcast if it wasn't for, for that. So I was really glad too. And now I have I'm not going to shake that song. (laughs) Uh, We'll get the new one. The new one just came out yesterday. The new video just launched and now you've got a new earworm to get in your head. I hope. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a good one too. So yeah. Well, thank you so much guys. I I really appreciate uh, you spending time with me. So yeah. Thanks for sharing space with us. Um, Real quick. Where can people find you? You can go to talking politics and religion without killing each other and the talking and the killing doesn't have the G at the end. And we're, (laughs) politics and religion.podbean.com politics and religion.podbean.com and t-p-a-n-d-r pod t-p-n-d-r pod uh at the at thing for twitter so yeah great awesome fantastic well, thanks. thanks so much Corey. happy holidays yeah you too thanks so much yeah. it was great to get to know you better yeah for sure yeah. bye bye, bye. bye. solstice to you (laughs) has any uh has anything weird and wonderful manifested for you over the course of the 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 lightening of the year
Um, well, I found <laughs> out that the half from my brake fluid reservoir had been missing, and I don't know how long I've been driving like that. <laughs> so, well, hey. what was miraculous was that I am alive. <laughs> so, Jesus Christ. And Thank you. That I have <laughs> now found really great mechanics in my area. And I had been kind of sweating not having a good mechanic. So I don't know if that's a solstice miracle or a Festivus miracle. Maybe the baby Jesus is. did that. I think I, yeah. I think the eight pound, six ounce baby Jesus did that. <laughs> <laughs> like, your brakes won't fail. Your brakes won't fail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe some kind of magical like triangle ding or like a chime. Right. <laughs> and all of a sudden all of the brake fluid reservoirs will be capped. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, yeah, and I had to call, like, pretty much every Hyundai dealership in the greater front range area to find this stupid cap, but I found one. So Thank you, baby Jesus. Anyway. Thank you, baby Jesus. Thank you, Solstice Witches. Yes. And Festivus Pole. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the pole itself that does the magic, I think. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Poles, witches, babies, whatever deity is keeping me yet again safe with another bizarre car problem, I am really fucking grateful to it. (laughs) Because this is a real pattern in my life. Hey, well, here's to 2021 being the year that neither of us has so far died in a ball of exploding flame. Yes, so far. There's four days left. I know. So. Oh, my God. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I'm going to knock on wood right now. Yeah, I do. I just did. I did say so far. So far, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, at the same, at right. least it's giving us some perspective, you know, life, the universe, and mm-hmm. everything. I feel like it's, like, 2021 has helped with, helped my sense of humor, like, expand. It's helped my perspective mm-hmm. widen. I think it's given me the yeah. ability to have conversations with people that don't turn into arguments as quickly, maybe, sometimes. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I, think, I mean, I think you've done a good job. <laughs> hey, thanks. Especially, you know, since we started the project. Um, yeah, I feel like 2021 for, or 2020 for me was so much about survival. And 2021, although it's been nerve-wracking and shitty <laughs> in a lot of ways, it's still... It feels like a little more expansive to me and also felt like I had a little more perspective, like fucking none of this really matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the end that end piece of um Bohemian Rhapsody has has like floated through my head on a pretty constant basis uh throughout twenty twenty one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it's nothing really matters. Anyone can see. <laughs> nothing really, really matters. matters. Nothing to really matters to me. To me. That is a special <laughs> gift to our what the folk fam are <laughs> zoomed I even sang a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I fucked it up and forgot there was another nothing really matters before to me but you know you know i i can nothing really matters i feel like so. freddie mercury forgives <laughs> you already for that completely Aww, i know freddie yeah. yeah there may not be a jesus but there was definitely a freddie mercury and he has forgiven all of our sins yeah 
I mean, if that doesn't make, make you believe in a higher power, I don't know what will. Seriously. Um, I think that the, the higher power consists of Freddie Mercury floating in the ether, imbuing us all with magic. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, on that note, um, it's, been, uh, it's been fun to get all of the... All of the new people that we have had a chance to talk with on this on this podcast this year, I feel like we've gotten a, a wide a wide range of perspectives, and I'm super stoked on that. Yeah, me too. And it was cool to have someone like Corey reach out. Yeah, um, and big ups to Samantha Hart for coming on our pod and kind of opening that door. It's funny how you. You never quite know, like, how those little decisions and connections you make, like, what they're going to grow into. So this was a really cool one. Yeah, I think, like, I yeah, I I think that the, my circle as I've gotten older has, like, smallened. That's the word that I'm using and I'm sticking <laughs> to it. Um, it's, <laughs> and, uh, and I've lost a lot of, you know, and all of us throughout the pandemic, like, we don't go that many places. We don't run into a lot mm-hmm. of perspectives that differ even like a little bit from our own, unless we look for them most of the time. And, um, especially to have conversation, have a conversation with, uh, at somebody who I think is trying to do similar to what we're trying to do, uh, here in the world, which is make a, make the world a, a little bit easier of a place by kind of talking about it, um, mm-hmm. and, and finding connections, but like someone who's doing it from, from a, a different standpoint and one that is, um, you know, also asking questions but from a a different place yeah totally I know we were both a little nervous going into this interview (laughs) because we were you know especially looking at we didn't tell you Corey if you're listening we We were a little nervous we know you're listening we didn't know you (laughs) we didn't know if you would (laughs) like us we hoped you would (laughs) yes we're glad you did and we liked you too um but yeah, especially seeing, you know, like I, I listened to some episodes of Talking Politics and Religion Without Killing Each Other, and it's a really great project, but also seeing some of the guests on there, I was like, whoa, these are not people that I would ever picture having some connection of sharing space with them, even by proxy, you know? Um, I think the thing that really struck me about the whole experience of talking to Corey was there's a lot of different ways to be on the same page, maybe more than we realize. Mm-hmm. We're highly atomized right now. And whether you want to blame that on late stage capitalism or just, you know, the way culture has kind of divided us into little boxes and kind of, you know, pulled us apart into these tiny little categories. And you can only associate with people that fit in your category. Exactly. Kind mm-hmm. of thing. It seems like it's really hard to gain that perspective. It's not even like cool to say, something like that anymore, you know, because yeah. it's supposed to be about, you know, criticizing and calling out, which is there's a time and a place for that, to be sure. And we need that energy. But we also need to realize at some point, you know, there everyone or maybe not everyone, but mm-hmm. a lot of people are working with a similar end goal in mind. And that is to try to make the world that much better and to try to maybe pull us from the brink of extinction and have something resembling a functional society. Yeah. 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 And, you know, we've talked about this, you know, I, on the pod, I think 
before and definitely with each other about curiosity as sort of the antidote to um, conflict, at least the kind of conflict that um, is is not helpful um, or is ongoing and nonstop. Because conflict can be helpful and can be necessary in some ways, um, but it's like how how do we how do we conflict is yeah. <laughs> is the question that I think we're asking that and the question that Corey is asking and trying to understand. And I I really appreciated the way he approached our conversation from a place of curiosity and and um, and earnestly asking uh, questions for the sake of knowing the answers not just as talking points or you know as um yeah as hypotheticals or rhetoricals yeah I mean I appreciated you know where there were these kind of points of difference in the conversation how he would be like well that's really a fair point or you're challenging my assumptions in some way it's it's something I feel like I need to model more in my own conversations Mm -hmm. to be honest because what it created was a space that was built much more around resonance than around debate and around trying to win. Mm-hmm. It felt like we were kind of co-creating something instead of trying to just jump in and be heard. Right. You know what I mean? Or win some kind of prize for being correct. Right. So. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, I can only speak for myself in saying that like a lot of the times when I'm making a point, it's because I want to be heard. It's, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily because I'm like getting something out of being right. It's because mm-hmm. I want to know that what I'm saying is, is landing. And if I say it a lot of times, which I definitely, uh, everybody in my life can tell me, I have been known to go on and say things <laughs> multiple times in many different ways over and over and over again until they are <laughs> or crazy. <laughs> uh, oh, you, you do that too. <laughs> no wonder we have a podcast together. <laughs> So yeah, so we're doing that, and um, and I I really have um, a lot of respect for somebody who who is able to hear somebody else, and I'm trying to be more like that in my life. Believe it or not, all the people who know me, <laughs> and um, and it's it's just it's so helpful to experience a conversation that has a lot of paths like you know there's a lot of like conflict trailheads on that mm-hmm. you know on that path and that like kind of fork off of it and um and I feel like we kind of we're trying to do the work to just stay on the main path and not not do the conflict offshoots and then ultimately get to a place where we all understand each other a little bit better and feel heard um mm-hmm. so yeah, I felt very heard, and I hope I hope Corey felt heard by us. I, I would like to have more conversations with people who um, I don't necessarily see all the way eye to eye with, even if it is mostly, and uh, and do that kind of that kind of continued path walking. Yeah, I liked I liked the way you put that. The we sort of avoided the conflict trailheads and stayed on the main path. <laughs> I think that's a really great image. So I'm just such a weirdo that there's going to be a point of tension with anyone I'm hanging out with on literally <laughs> anything. <Same> so <laughs> yeah. 
So, like, if we agree politically, start asking me about spirituality and how I think reality is fundamentally a non-material proposition, <laughs> and we'll see how soon the Marxists want to hang out with me. Right. But, and then if you, and then if we make it past there, like, let's talk about the patriarchy. Right. <laughs> like, there'll be something. Yeah, So, with just accepting that there's always going to be something and that no one's ever going to share the exact same. I mean, we don't share the same headspace mm-hmm. on everything. But I think that makes for some of our most rich conversations or those moments that we've had where we're looking at things from different perspectives or perhaps have a slightly different take on something. Right. Um, so I appreciated having the opportunity to really practice that with somebody like Corey. Um, but in some ways, Corey made it really easy. He was so open-minded and curious and kept clearly coming back to that big picture motivation mm-hmm. of what is it that we're here? Like, what's the common project to, um, to steal Doug Rushkoff's, um, podcast title and really amazing book title as well. Team human. Like we're all on team human. Mm-hmm. So how do we keep remembering we're on team human? Yeah. Like that was, um, I think to me just something like, like I've said a couple times in the days after the interview, like we legitimately need more quarries in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually a more comfortable way to live, too. Um, you know, mm-hmm. just trying to trying to recognize that conflict and um, or that just um, disagreement is inherent. It's always going to happen. There's always going mm-hmm. to be like differing opinions and differing views. So how do we um, literally? do it without killing each other because that is the place that we're in right now in the world. Like if we're not, I don't think most people in the United States understand how much of the world is a very scary place to live in. Um, either for climate reasons or for like global, you know, imperialism reasons or for religious reasons or patriarchy reasons. Like there's so many reasons. And, um, you know, we're trying to we're trying to get to a place where we can see all of that and talk about it, not as like a how did this happen, but as a, like what mm-hmm. do we do about this? Right. Yeah. At some point, the assigning blame phase, although useful, and there needs to be justice and accountability. Um, if we're just assigning blame without actually making things better for the folks that have been most harmed, then we need to evolve past that phase because it's not getting us to the phase of solutioning. Right. Um, although again, it's the, this and that, like we need the, we need the justice as well as the solutioning, but, mm-hmm. um, where am I going with this? I don't well, yeah, we, like, the justice as well as the solutioning. I like, I like that. I, the, yeah. And, and, the thing that also, you know, I want to kind of like amend the thing I just said, like, because the U.S. can be a very, very scary place to live as well if you don't occupy a certain like skin yeah. color and um, tax bracket. But it's also like, yeah, the, the point being that like we can get to the justice and the solutioning if we can all understand that we're all struggling and like try to understand why we're all struggling. And mm-hmm. pay attention to the fact that, like, we're coming to our perspectives from an honest place, like, under 
incredible um, pressure from systems that are literally built to oppress. And that's, that's like the, the box that we're sitting in while we form all of our perspectives. And like, but meanwhile, there's so much going on outside the box. And I hate that I just used yet another cliche term, but like I, it more, let's say what's going on outside the cage. You yeah. know, because the systems that we have right now are our cage that are keeping us within them and we're forming our perspectives within this cage. And, you know, we're not wrong for coming to to our perspectives the way we do. Um, but we're going to always be confused if we don't pay attention to why we're coming to the conclusions we come to. And the the fact that we are in this sort of thought cage um, that is systemic you know, capitalism, patriarchy, imperialism, you know, settler colonialism, all of, you know, We should just things. find, yeah, a word to maybe, we should just say all the things. All the things. <laughs> <laughs> all the things that I told my therapist are actually at the root of all my problems, and she agrees. <laughs> like, like, if we can... The giant, yeah. <laughs> if, we can get, if we can get clear on this one thing, then, like, we can deal with all of my problems that came out of capitalism and the patriarchy and imperialism (laughs) and all the things (laughs) and then it's so funny because the kind of big cosmic joke is how do you respond and you you start responding by working on yourself internally and building that self-awareness of the narratives you've case yourself in with or like I really love Robert Anton Wilson's idea of reality tunnels and how we've all built ourselves into a reality tunnel and kind of dug into that Mm -hmm. and like being aware of what our personal reality tunnel is and what we do to defend it and enforce it and mm-hmm. reinforce it yeah, is one of like, that's weird that the, the systematic work starts on that level, but that's just why this is a funny ass prison planet. We're all on yeah. full of paradox, total paradox. And you know, and the fact is that working on ourselves is what changes everything outside of ourselves. And it's, um, you know, it can be a really, a really beautiful thing. It can be a terrifying thing. Again, mm-hmm. paradox. Life is paradox. And we can't avoid that no matter how many joke songs we write. <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> <laughs> or no matter how many times we decide to avoid a real conversation by just having lots of Simpsons quotes thrown at people, which is my note to say. (laughs) Exactly. Those are, those are all just, uh, those are doors. We, we use, we open those doors and we walk into conversations that we don't Mm -hmm. hopefully, um, die in. (laughs) Yeah. They're perfectly cromulent doors. Excellent. (laughs) Wait, cromulent. Did you just word a word that I don't know? What is cromulent? It's the Simpsons. <laughs> What's that? Is that a Simpsons word? The Simpsons. Yeah. Shit, man. I didn't even I didn't even know a Simpsons word. Wow. So I thought of, I almost I almost made this reference earlier when you said something like in small. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that reminds me of Embiggins, because Jebediah Springfield, yes. the so founder of Springfield's logo was, or motto was a noble spirit and biggins, the smallest man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the Miss Hoover and Miss Krabappel are talking about it and they're like, I don't think in biggins is a word. And <laughs> the other one goes the other one. It's a perfectly cromulent word. 
<laughs> I remember that so, now. Now that you're bringing it up. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. And honestly, I, I was thinking of embiggened when I said smallened because um, smallened doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So I just shortened it. I abbreved. <laughs> and <laughs> Words and not an, in, an innoble spirit and smallens the biggest man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's 2021. <laughs> There we go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, I, I well, really hope our What the Folk fam has managed to make it through this year somewhat unscathed or at least just slightly scathed. And, um, and that, you know, y'all are keeping it together as best you can. But even if you're not, know that you are not alone. And uh, I'm going to include my new song in this episode because... I feel like the one goal I had in 2021 was to kind of come to a place of acceptance with my not okayness in the grand scheme of, you know, apocalypse and such. And, uh, and I want to just let the rest of our folks out there listening know that if you're struggling, that's great. That's fine. That actually means you're functioning because this is a hard life. And uh, some of us have it easier than others and easier ways than others, but it is completely all right to not be okay. Uh, We love y'all anyway. Thanks for listening. Yeah, I love you. Happy Folk and New Year, What the Folk fam. (laughs) We'll see you on the other side. It's all right to not be okay. It's all right to not be okay. What the Folk is co-produced and co-hosted by Sarah Baranowskis and Joy Damiani. Sarah is based on the native lands of Arapaho, Cheyenne, Ute, and Ocheti Shakoan tribes known as Denver, Colorado. Joy is based on the native lands of the Cowlitz, Clackamas, Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde, and Confederated Tribes of Siletz Indians known as Portland, Oregon. Featured music on this episode has been It's Alright to Not Be Okay and a little preview of the new unreleased single Brains in Meat Suits, both by Joy Damiani. You can find us at whatthefolkpod.com, follow us on social media at whatthefolkpod, and contact us at whatthefolkpod at gmail.com. Our theme music is from In a Major Key by Joy Damiani, whose music and writing you can find at joydamiani.com. Thanks for listening. We hope to be back in your ears in the new year. We hope you have a happy one. Until then, don't let the apocalypse get you down. <laughs>